explain more um, in a minute. Uh, we're going to do it almost exclusively from the book of Romans, which is kind of fun. Um, I've always wanted to preach the book of Romans, but uh, it's so dense and so deep that it would take, you know, maybe three years to, to get through, um, which, uh, which is prohibitive at times. So we're going to be in, in the book of Romans for the next uh, uh, probably six, seven weeks, something like that. And we're going to, the, the concept we're going to talk about uh, for that time is the concept of identity. And I want to talk to you a minute about that and why why we've chosen to go there. Here's what I've, here's what I'm kind of convinced of, is that in our time, in our generation, this concept of identity is like the key question. Now we hear it outside the church with people talking about, I identify as this, I identify as that. And, and I don't really mean it necessarily in that way. When I talk about identity, I'm talking about like the key question, like who are you? Like, who in the world are you? Why do you exist? Why are you? Who, who are you? And we answer those questions a lot of times in a lot of different, different ways. Like, we know, like, if we took our license out, we can say who we are. Look, I'm, I'm Dave Drake. I live at this address. I have no hair, a beard, blue eyes, right? You could get that, that stuff kind of from my, from my driver's license. If you're around me enough and listen to what I talked about, you could hear me talk about things and go, maybe that's who he, who he is. Um, but what I've become convinced of as, as I pastor and as I spend time with people is that the issue of identity and who exactly we are and why is like the driving issue of our day. In fact, we seem to be a generation that is steeped in this this long, long search for what our identity is. And now, just to be honest then, as a a pastor, one of the things I know, uh, and I just know this better, is that for a Christian, our identity is to be caught up in Jesus Christ. And yet I feel like to say that does not always make it true. And one of the things I've always always promised is that I like I don't preach messages that don't speak to me that don't that don't talk to me that don't preach the same kind of thing to me. And one of my hopes as we go through this that all of us would encounter would encounter the text and encounter ourselves and encounter Jesus in a way so that when we're done we can say who we are and know that who we are is caught up in who Jesus is so that our lives have meaning, purpose that our existence uh all of those kinds. I'm convinced as I look at the problems that plague our time, when you address things like like fatherlessness, when you address things like like high crime, when you when you see all kinds of things like uh, just the, the the reigning confusion amongst youth about who exactly they are, I'm like, no, you are somebody. It's clear in the Bible you were meant to have this meaning. It's meant to be in Jesus. And yet, my saying that doesn't just make it happen. Right, And so my goal is that hopefully as we walk through the scripture together, that you will begin to find your meaning and your identity in scripture and who the Bible says you are and who Jesus says you are. And, and so will I. But not in just a, a, um, in a way that affects our head knowledge, that affects, okay, now I know this, but rather that it will be life-changing and transformative for us. I am um, 
I'm rather convinced that as, as a pastor, as I have to deal with people's problems and people's issues and, and people's struggles, that the majority of them come down to this, is that our identity has been broken. We've got broken identities. And so my goal and my hope for you and for me is the restoration of our identity. This is who we are. This is who Scripture says we are. And not that we would just hear it, that, but we would lay hold of it, that we would claim that. And then that, that would become true and powerful in our lives. So <laughs> that's where we're, where we're going. We're going to start in Romans chapter 3, uh, 23. Uh, I, I term this, uh, this, this message maybe as first the bad news, right? One of the things about realizing who you are and one of the things about the biblical worldview and the Bible who, teaching who we are, it's going to begin with a moment of bad news. But I hope to, by the end, show you how even this bit of bad news is powerfully good news. So uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, uh, is going to tell us, uh, who we are. And it says simply this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, I told you that my hope is, is that, that we, will, we will grow together, that we'll move into uh, an existence that gives meaning and purpose and all of those things. And so then to start with a verse like, For all have sinned, may seem... Um, not only anticlimactic, but backwards, backwards to you. But we still need to deal with, with this reality, right? I've said to you, and I'm going to, it's not a spoiler alert, you know, I'm going to tell you every week that your identity is caught up in Jesus. And for it to be caught up in Jesus and to understand why and how, we need to start here with this. For all have sinned. The all is pretty uh, ubiquitous, it's pretty universal, it's pretty total, Right? It doesn't say, for some have sinned. It doesn't say, for the majority have sinned. It doesn't say, hmm, everybody except for you has sinned. It says all. And yet I find that in our, our daily lives, we prefer to live like it uses one of those, those terms, right? We prefer to live as if it says, for the majority have sinned, because if we think of it as for the majority have sinned, or for they have sinned, or for others have sinned, then we can exempt ourselves from the reality of it saying that all have sinned, and all must naturally include us. And we would prefer that it says something else, and I think a lot of times in our interactions with people, we act like it, like it does say something else. And that's not what it says, though. It says all have sinned. And so, uh, I think in like happy clappy churches, like where they go, hey, look to your left, look to your right, say something to them. Like if we were that kind of church, I'd have you turn to each other and go, hey, turn to the person next to you and say, you're a sinner. But it just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't have that, that kind of feel to it, you know. Look at the person on your left, say, you're a sinner. Um, depending on who you're saying next to, it could be fun. But um, but here here's the idea. All have Sin. And we don't like the beginning of our identity to be wrapped up in that. And yet, if we don't start there, we'll never get to, to the depths of what our true identity is. Here, here's the reality. If you don't realize this, that you're a sinner, you're never going to seek what you need. 
which is Jesus. And so identity really does start here. It's a baseline uh, starting place. It's one of the, the key teachings uh, of history uh, of the church. And it is one of the reasons that people sometimes don't like the church. Because no one really likes to hear that, that they're a sinner. They're like, well, that just seems a little judgmental, right? Um, we're going to come back to that concept of judge, judgment in, in a minute. But let's just agree, we don't like to hear it. But I'm here to tell you right now, you need to hear it. Like, I need to hear it. We need to live in, that, in, in the reality. We've sinned. What does it mean to sin? To sin means to do anything that is counter to the will or the way or the standard of God. Right? When it says, for all have sinned, what I'm saying is, you sit there this morning and I sit here this morning as different or other than the standard which is God. Right? We don't always like that because when we want to convince ourselves that we're not sinful, what we typically do is find someone who we are sure is sinful and we compare ourselves to them. In other words, I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as Judy, right? And then you just lay everything at the feet of Judy. Judy's the worst, right? I can't believe Judy did that. Judy is so bad. Did you hear how bad Judy is, right? We all want to do that. We want to go by comparison. And so we make Judy or Johnny, we make them the standard. We go, look, compared to what they did, I'm great. I might have done this, this, and this, but they did this, this, and this. And we make them really bad. And the thing about that, that comparison system, is no matter who you are, you can always find somebody worse, right? No matter how bad you are, you'll find somebody worse. You might just be a terrible, awful human. You can find a terrible-er, awful-er human, right, to, to blame it on, right? I don't know, like, it would have been interesting, but I'll, I'll promise you this, that if you had said to Hitler that Hitler was, Hitler would have said, I may be bad, but what about that other dude? Like, Hitler had somebody on his list. I don't know who that was, right? But nobody wants to hear this thing that, like, we're just all messed up. And we are all simple, and we want to compare ourselves to Judy or Johnny or anybody else because they're bad, they're sinful. That's the thing. That works, man. That is a great system that makes perfect sense. If you compare yourself to Judy, you are not near as simple. But the problem is comparing yourself to Judy is if you're comparing yourself to Judy and Judy's the standard, then who in the world is going to save you? Right? And what you're doing when you compare yourself then is you convince yourself that you don't need salvation. It's an effort at self-salvation. I don't need to be saved. I don't need to be fixed. There's nothing wrong with me. I might have a few problems, but they're minor tweaks. I just need a few minor tweaks because I'm not as bad as her. I'm not as bad as him. And you use that comparison game to convince yourself that you just need a few minor tweaks and you'll be fine. You don't really need salvation. It is an attempt to put yourself back in the role of God and make yourself the standard and tell yourself that you're okay. Which, again, when we're talking about identity, you're like, isn't that what we want? We should all have high self-esteem. We should all just believe in ourselves. We should just all do it. It's the problem with that is simply this, is that it is a lie that you can tell yourself, but you will never actually believe forever. And if, even if you don't believe it, at one point in your life, your delusion is going to fall apart. You're going to look in the mirror and you're going to realize that you're not all that you have told yourself that you are. You don't have what it takes. 
You might be better than Johnny or Judy, but they're not the standard. Jesus is. And all have sinned and fallen short of who Jesus is. It says, for all the sin and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is most fully expressed in the person, in the life, in the ministry, in the reality of who Jesus is. And the reality is you don't live up to that. You don't do that. You can't save you. And so there's, there's the bad. We start first the bad news. You want to know who you are? You're sinful. You are. You are sinful. You're not, you're not okay. You're not all right. You don't need to just work a little harder. You don't need to believe in yourself just a little bit more. You're sinful, man. From the day you were born, the day that you could disobey your parents, from the day that you could, you could, uh, you could shoplift in a store uh, as, a, as a young kid, from the first lie you told to now, to your attitudes, to your heart, to all of it, you are sinful. For all have sinned. That is not our favorite thing to hear. Here's, here's how that flips though. Here's how this, this bad news. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's how this can become, become good news for you in your search for identity. Here's what I've encountered and what I realize about identity in general for, for all of us is that most of us are trying to find our identity based on what I just talked about in comparison to somebody else, right? So if Judy is, is the standard by which you go, I'm not as bad as her, then there's always a Jill who you're not as good as, right? If Johnny is the standard, I'm not as bad as him, there's a Jim who you're not as good as. And so you are trapped in this cycle where you are comparing yourself to go, I don't know how to live and I don't know what to do because I'm trapped because I know that, that, that I, I, I may be better than, than Judy, but I'm not as good as Jill. I know that I, I may not be as sinful as, as Johnny, but I'm not as good as Jim. We get trapped in this cycle and we, it just takes us around like a, like a tornado that is spinning and going absolutely nowhere. And the end result of that is, is you are constantly comparing yourself to the person next to you. And if you do that long enough, what you will find out is not only do you not measure up to the standard of a holy, loving God, you don't even measure up equally with the sinful dude sitting next to you on a lot of levels if that's how you're going to meaning, right? Because your heart and your mind will begin to convince you that you don't have what he has and you don't have what they have. This is why in our culture we see this consumeristic race to have more, to do more, to be more. This is why people want to be famous. Have you ever watched the opening auditions to the TV show American Idol, right? When American Idol started, believe it or not, that was a very popular show. I know it's in its last season or coming up on the last season, but in our culture, people used to really watch that thing, right? And people used to really like that. And what always happened at the beginning is they would show these auditions and people would come in and sing for the judges and they would be horribly bad. I mean, we're just talking awful we're talking like worse than if I were to try and sing to you this morning, and that's pretty bad, right? But they would show up, and they would sing, and then the judges would tell them that they couldn't sing, and they would be shocked and sickened and angry. They'd be like, but my grandma said I could sing. 
my grandma doesn't lie, right? And I'm like, your grandma is a liar, man. Is your grandma's name Judy? Uh, like, <laughs> she's a liar, right? I can sing. My mom and my aunt said I can sing. And they get shocked and they get angry and they swear. And the whole thing was that they would keep trying and they would keep begging for like this golden ticket which sent them to Hollywood. Why? Because in their mind they convinced themselves that they had to be famous. Because if they weren't famous, they weren't going to admit amount to anything. Who taught them that? What taught them that is that they compared themselves to the person next to them. When you sit at home and compare yourself to the person on TV, you start to think that you've got to be the person on TV to have and purpose and they would cry and they would weep. People want to be famous. Why? Because if they can be famous, then they can be better than the person next to them. That's what, what they're thinking. There are other people that are pursuing money. Why? So they can buy stuff. Why? So they can get a new car. Why? So that it can ride on 24th. Why? So that it can have an awesome system. Why? So that they can through the hood with the base going and they can ride by their boys. And look out the window and go, hey, this is a true story. My brother uh, uh, somehow obtained a, a Porsche back in the day, right? Now, Drake's aren't really rich enough to own a Porsche, but he got one. And it was like a 911. It wasn't like one of those like skeevy Porsches, like a 944 or something. It was like a, it was the real deal, like this 911 Porsche, right? And he came over to show it to us at our house. I'm like, dude, give me a ride around the neighborhood, right? And like we went through, we drove through the neighborhood, we rolled down the window, be like hanging out the window like, hey, y'all. Just me, Dave Drake, over here in this Porsche. See me? Like, you drive through the neighborhood, you go to people's house, like, I like, wait here, pull in that driveway, run up, knock on the door, run back, jump in the Porsche, be like waving in the parking lot, like, hey, it's me, Dave Drake, in a Porsche. I mean, it's baby blue, but it's still a Porsche. Right? Because here's the thing. We all want to be compared. We want to be seen driving through the neighborhood. No one gets a car. And then hides it in the garage and never shows anybody. Like, you don't have the best car in the neighborhood and keep it in the garage. You want people to see it, right? Partially because you're proud of the workmanship, but also because you want people to see you in it. Because people look at you and go, dang, are they in that car? Man, if they can drive that car, they must be the coolest thing ever, right? That's kind of what we're thinking in our brain. So we want fame. We want money. We want all of it. It all comes down to that. These dudes who are like serially going from like, like girl to girl to girl to girl in a culture where, where, where dudes are trading in one girl for a younger girl. All of the, this whole thing is this great internal search for meaning so that they can look around and go, I'm better than that person. So I must be all right. I must be all right. And it is the most dead end, useless thing ever. I saw a quote, I believe, from, from uh, Jim Carrey. Uh, Jim Carrey is an actor in, in, in various movies, but he has a lot of money. And he said, I wish that people could be, be rich for one day and have a, so they would realize that it does not lead to the fulfillment of all their dreams and it doesn't lead to happiness, Right? Now, that's a Facebook meme, so it could have been totally fake. But if Jim Carrey really said that, super insightful, right? Like, all the cash in the world isn't going to give you meaning. It's not going to give you what you're dreaming of. It's not. It's all this attempt to be better than the next dude, better than the next girl, right? And I think we live in a time and in a culture and a place where that's what all of us are trying to do. And that's why all of us spend a lot of time being being depressed and unhappy and like you know 
I used really like a, really some some very Godwin Heights uh, dude references like cars and stuff. But there's other stuff like like there are young mothers at home comparing themselves to other young mothers and going, yeah, my kid didn't. You ever meet the person who's like, yeah, my kid rolled over at three days. I'm like, your kid did not roll right but it's like a kid competition i'm like if your kid rolled over at three days you got to get them out that dangerous bed you know you don't put a baby on a hill right <laughs> that baby rolled over at three days stop putting your kid to sleep on a slide okay that is that is not okay like my baby could crawl at one month i'm like your baby's superman good for you right my baby could walk it like I always love my favorites, like, my baby could walk at nine months, right? That's good, but here's what I've realized when you have four kids. They start to walk. They can go places. You keep a kid who can't ambulate, it's a lot better. They can't move, right? <laughs> they're really cute, and, and, and you know you put them someplace, they're going to be there when you come back for them. <laughs> so, yeah, my, like, we tried to keep our kids from walking until they were seven. Uh, <laughs> My baby was potty trained at six hours. Okay, that's a right because there's competition. Go on, go online, look up mommy blogs. There are all kinds of women out there to ready to judge you for however you parented. Right, they're ready to judge you for every choice you've you've ever made. And the universal thing about mommy blogs is they have made the right choices and you haven't. And if you could just be like them, you could get your own blog and make all the right decisions and be the great mother, right? So in a mommy blog world, look to your right, look to your left and say, you're not as good of a mother as I am. That's how that system works, right? It's a compare, 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 compare world. Here's my point. Here's the point I would like to make. Here's what saves us from all of that. Here's what rescues us from all of that thinking. For all have sinned, right? Seems like bad news, but all of a sudden, when you realize it, it's kind of good news, right? Because you look to your right, you look to your left, and you say, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. I can look around, and I'm just standing in a room full of sinners. That's what I'm standing in a room full of, right? And that might not seem fun, and it may not seem great, but I'm kind of okay with it because, again, don't want to spoil the story, but I'm a child of the living God. His name is Jesus. He's rescued me through his own goodness. I've been rescued, and he rescued me knowing full well that I was a sinner. He rescued me knowing all the awful things I was doing. So when I look at you, I see a sinner, but it's okay. I'm not judging you because when I look at me, I see a sinner. And when I look to the other side, I see a sinner. And I'm not judging him because when I look in the mirror, I still see a sinner. And I can get out of the trying to measure up. I ain't ever getting a Porsche, right? Like, I'm never driving around my neighborhood in an actual Porsche. I had to just drive around in my in my brother's. And it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And the reality is everybody knew that eventually I was going to have to go home, get out, and drive a Ford Fairlane or whatever I was driving at that time, right? My cars are considered great if they run. If they don't, they're not great. But they're never awesome. Right? So I'm never winning on that level. I'm never going to be the great. I'm never going to be rich. I'm not going to be famous. Right? Uh, the beautiful coop has, has flown. I'm starting to lean towards the idea that I may never be skinny. I'm realistic about the fact that I don't have hair. Right? I have not a million things going for me, but when I look around the room, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but guess what I see? I see a room full of sinners who can look around the room and see the exact same thing I see. 
this little piece of bad news, the starting place of identity in Christ, this little piece of bad news is really the starting place of good news, right? Like if someone rolled up this morning ready to judge you, 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 you can't stop them for, from, from saying or thinking what they want. But the reality is, Romans 3.23 is still true for all of sin. And their judgment gets a little weaker, right? And their judgment, right, when they show up on the scene and they want to judge you, and they want to go, you're this and you're that, you're that. All they're doing is proving that Romans 3.23 is true because they're sinning as they do it. There is exactly one, one entity in all of the universe equipped to judge you, able to judge you, worthy of judging you. He is God the Father, His Son Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of the living God. They can judge you. Nobody else can. The good news is, is that Scripture teaches, though all has sinned for all sin and fall short of God's glorious ideal, later on it tells us this truth, or earlier, we'll go earlier. In John 3.16 it tells us this truth about that. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, so that anyone who believed in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Um, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. John 3.16 says, yeah, Jesus knew. You want to know how deep it goes? This Romans 23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious ideal. People want to judge you. People want to come at you. People want, want, to, want, to, uh, want to, to make you feel bad about yourself. Or maybe you're judging yourself. Maybe you look at yourself and you're so busy comparing. Here's the reality. Romans 3.23 does say, for all have sinned. But Ephesians 1.4 says this, that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He did not choose from, guys, a bunch of good people. He did not look around and go, oh, oh, Anthony, pretty good. Anderson, pretty good. Barry, pretty good. Alvin, the worst. He's out. <laughs> like, God didn't have, like, a group of pretty good people to choose from. He didn't go, hey, uh, least sinful to the front, most sinful to the back. And uh, at the very front row, obviously, you non-sinners, come on through. Only one non-sinner in history. His name was Jesus, and you ain't him. All have sinned. And it seems like bad news. But really, it's just a dose of reality that turns into good news. If all have sinned, then by what can anyone judge you? That's why he says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the beginning place, the beginning place of finding your identity is realizing this. You're a sinner. This is bad news. We skip to the good news. We're going to go back to the bad news just for a minute. You're a sinner. You're a complete and total sinner. Like, you're not a pretty okay sinner. You're not like, hey, doing fine sinner. You're not like, hey, I'm not that sinful. God's going to choose me sinner. You're like a sinner. Like, you're an enemy of the living God sinner. Like, from your first breath that you breathed, you were an enemy of the living God, a rebel to his cause, worthy of judgment, not from man, but from God. You were worthy of destruction, not from man, but from God. You are a sinner. You do not, in your nature, from your birth, do things that are pleasing to, to the God of Scripture, pleasing to the God of, of, of history. You do not. The bad news is you are 
a sinner. And you will never find identity and meaning until you realize this truth, that you are sinful. That's who you are. Because then that bad news turns into good news right here. God knew you were a sinner. Before you were born, the Bible says in Ephesians 1.4, before the foundation of the planet, God, knowing that you were a sinner, decided that he was going to send his son Not to come to judge you, but to take judgment for you. Not to come to destroy you, but to be destroyed for you. Not to come to bring punishment to you, but to bring healing within you. The God of Scripture has come. His name is Jesus. The bad news is you are a sinner. The great news is so is everybody else here. Jesus knew and he is in the business of rescuing sinful people. But you're never going to get your identity right. You're never going to get your meaning right. You're never going to get any of that right if you continue to think of yourself and I continue to think of myself as I'm all right. Not all right. I'm not all right. I'm a sinner. I do happen to be a sinner who's meant this guy named Jesus who came and with his body and his blood died on a cross, taking the judgment and the wrath of God from me, going into a grave, walking out of a grave, resurrected, so that my sins would no longer be held against me. Because I am that guy, I can look around and go, yeah, you sin, I sin, we sin. But I don't need to feel judged. I don't need to feel broken. I do not need to to feel held down anymore. Right? There's only one judge. The good news about realizing that all have sinned is you realize that there's only one judge. And if you know him, he has looked into history. He has judged. And in your place, he has found his son guilty and acquitted you by his body and his blood. That's good news. That's the beginning place of of identity. So we start with first the bad news. If we're going to find an identity, we need to realize this reality. All have sinned. You're a sinner. It's really uphill from here. But I would be a liar to tell you that you could find meaning apart from realizing your sinfulness. Because you won't. Because you need a savior. And if you don't realize you're a sinner, you're never going to find a savior. If you don't find a savior, you're never going to find your meaning and your purpose because your purpose was caught up and held together in who Jesus is. Good news is you don't have to live in condemnation anymore. That's the good news. First, the bad news, you're a sinner. Now the good news, Jesus came to save sinners. Pray with me.